it's about getting into schools and talking to young people because you know I, I know that people can change uh, and, it, and it's about talking to people and getting them to understand and perhaps step back from violence and, and prejudice and whatever and we just need to work together and keep on the good fight there absolutely Hey there guys, we are ecstatically happy to announce that we are associated with the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. The times are changing and with the unfortunate death of Sophie, those changes have made a massive impact for the future. If Sophie was with us still today, I can guarantee what you are doing will still be reaching so many lives of young teenagers, young adults and those who wish to be as different as possible. So thank you very much. To find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do, and more importantly, how you can help, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. Hey, Jamie, do you like being cosy? I do. And do you like staying cosy? I like that even more. Then just head over to www.staycozyclothing.com where you can find hoodies, tees, sweaters and much, much more. And just enter The Chronicles as one word at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And make sure you follow them on the Instagram at staycozyclothing to keep up to date with all the new designs. Remember guys, that's The Chronicles as one word at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And now back to this week's episode. Hi everybody, it's Paul Rugg, the voice of Freakazoid, and you're listening to the Chronicles of Podcast with Tom and Jamie. Hello, hello! Well, invite people over to the house with my ass, boys. Welcome to hashtag WBW. Way back Wednesday. And these are the chronicles of Melissa Cross. Why Melissa this week, Jamie? Well, this Friday coming, we have one of the directors from the Bloodstock Open Air Festival. Oh, yes, we do. So why don't we speak to a lady who has no doubt worked with several of the people that have played on those hallowed grounds of bloodstock she's melissa cross the vocal coach oh what a wonderful woman she is oh yeah this was uh great this interview was so much fun it was one of those where it's like i don't want this to really end but you can't really have a podcast that's seven hours long no not really so the story she told about randy blythe Corey taylor jesse from killswitch engage you know, the, the bands that she's, the people she's coached, you know, and Kevin Bacon. Yeah, going, to, da- going to David Draymond's wedding. You know, yeah. just nuts. Just Mental. Absolutely nuts. I was obviously getting the video ready for this and I found our original airing of when we originally put this out there. And in the intro to that, I'm going, Melissa, please adopt us because we just love this woman so much. 
she was great. Just, you know, the fact that she could teach people how to scream properly um, is just magnificent. We have to also thank Lena, because obviously we interviewed Lena Scissorhands and yes. Melissa is, of course, Lena's vocal coach, which is how we discovered this wonderful human. Um, and it, you just got a little bit for the stories more there. Now, she's just fantastic. Very eccentric is what I like about her as well. Absolutely. Um, and hopefully she'll just keep going. She'll just keep going until she can go no more. And what I love about this as well is when we originally released this, we had a friend of ours who was in a singer from a metal band who was like, I've actually listened to this. So I'm going to take on some of her techniques. I'm going to look at her program. Look at the Zen of Screaming, which is her program. Look it up. It's amazing. So it's oh, just just enjoy this one, people. It's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we can speak to her again someday. That would be that would be glorious, my friend. It really would. Jamie! Yes, sir. Any of those words that are final? Melissa, thank you so much for doing this. And again, please adopt us. The, the options are still there. Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time out to sit and chat with us. We really, really enjoyed it and we really appreciate you taking the time. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the chronicles of Melissa Cross. Hi. There she is. Hello, there she is. Hello. How are you? Can you hear me all right? I can uh, hear you yeah. beautifully, beautifully, like yeah. just spot on. Spot on, yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I pick up your accent, it's not intentional. I lived there for many years. I'm a dual citizen and it drives me crazy. But when I hear you speak, I'm likely to like blend and I can't help it. So please don't think I'm making fun of you if something comes out that sounds like not American. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely fine. I mean, I wonder if we're taking slight. No, I'm joking. I don't get offended by anything. It's absolutely fine. Uh, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm posh all of a sudden. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, okay. well, I'm from Birmingham. My accent. Yeah, okay, so you know, I could do. I went to acting school at the Bristol Vic for like four years, and I learned all of the dialects. I learned all of them. You know, tell me what you want, you know, Celtic to the Rangers and like if you're Irish, I can do all of it. <laughs> and I lived in Bristol way now, so I talk like lager and lime like that, you know, like all of it. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Just answer every question in a different accent each time. <laughs> you can, like turn it right on in and out. My dad was from uh, Scotland, so you know, what's the matter? He got eggs and chips, you know, I don't <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Whereabouts are you from? I was born in Texas. Ah, nice, nice. Where, where, about, where did your dad from? In, uh, my dad's from Dundee. Ah, that's a shame. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it is a shame, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're all outside naked fighting, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm good at voicey things. I'm really good at voice. I, I've got a thing about the voice. What it does, how it sounds, how it works, my thing. That's so, always it's good in your profession, I suppose. I was going to say, definitely in the right profession then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jamie, do you want to take it away? Yeah. It I was gonna... me. Right, I'm just going to do a little in intro thing that I like to do and then we'll just crack on, if that's all right with you. Wonderful. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have a hell of a guest for you this week. In rock music, we have many men and women who are given the title of rock god or goddess, a title given in modern music to people like Simon Neal, Lizzie Hale, Jeremy McKinnon, Corey Taylor. But who do these people go to when they need help? 
that's where this week's guest comes in. A woman that seems to have helped every metal singer you could possibly think of, including two people I know personally. So whether it be through one-on-one sessions or her amazing Zen of Screaming workshops, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Chronicles, Melissa Cross. Hey! Oh, no pressure or anything. Not no, at no. all. I like to big people up in the intros. <laughs> it's a hell of an intro, right? Who so, you know that I helped? Who you know that I helped? How has lockdown been for you? Oh, um... Hmm. Actually, it's not a problem. I actually like it. <laughs> really? <laughs> I miss going to shows. I miss going to shows. I really miss going to shows. That is, that's about killing me. But the business is fine. Everybody's just picking up, you know, like uh, online stuff and everybody's working on a new style. You know, I'm working with um, Rob Flynn, who started a Facebook Live thing and he's doing acoustic stuff. So he's becoming more of a crooner, you know, he's, he's got fantastic oh, wow. You know, just the same thing as, like, um, you know, like David Drayman from Disturbed, you know, he was quite brutal most of the time. And now he, you know, he uses all of it. He uses all of his voice. He uses yeah. the legit voice, he uses the screamy voice, and it's, it's excellent. And so I, I like this idea of allowing former only screamers and only extreme sounding vocalists to like explore all the textures and their voice and not you know give any credence to genre or uh, you know do this because it's cool or it goes to this tribe you know because i think it's you know it got the screaming thing it can be saturating you know like yeah yeah everybody's doing it and, and, and it it is a sound that can be really unique to a person but not everybody does it in their own unique way. They kind of phone it in or they just try to copy somebody else and it kind of loses the, the point. Hmm. So I think it's really great to like use all of your voice and not just what you think sounds cool. <laughs> I mean, I made the names that you just dropped then. We're just like, oh, this is going to be phenomenal. <laughs> well, she's like, have a name. Have a name. Yeah. I'm going to teach you all how to do it. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Count us in. Yeah, sure. Um, did you manage to teach yourself anything new or did you like learn anything or study anything or do anything different whilst being locked away? Um, actually, I helped other people do that. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it just so happens that events took place that, you know, personally, I haven't sung or performed for a long time just because it's just... You know, I teach all the time, and that's a kind of yeah. performance. But in terms of, you know, gigging and stuff like that, it's just not part of my uh, dance card anymore, really. Yeah. But I sang at my mother's funeral recently, right? And I wasn't sure whether what was going to come out because it's been such a long time since I used yeah my performing voice. So I just kind of threw caution to the wind and did it, and it was all there. So that's beautiful. I learned I can still sing. <laughs> Isn't that great? I'm a, I'm a voice teacher and I can still sing. I was actually wondering if I could or not because I know I can do exercises, but you know. Was it one of those things like, where you started and we're like, I'm not sure? And then you're like, oh, oh, amazing! And then went for it. <laughs> <laughs> it just came right out. It just, 
boom, came right out. Must have been like the spirit of my mother, not wanting to oh, embarrass bless her. Wanting to me to like embarrass her in front of her friends. Too <laughs> <laughs> so much information. Yeah. I'm very <laughs> oh. So, so what was that? I didn't hear I, you. I just said I'm I'm very very sorry for your loss. That's yeah. oh, thank you very much. Thank you. It was a, uh, it's part. It's a rite of passage, I believe. So I'm told. So yeah. it's process. That's like everything else. Hate that word process. Don't you? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I hate the word potential, and I hate the word process. <laughs> All the P's. The P words. Yeah, damn these P words. <laughs> so take us back to the beginning. Where did all this begin for you in regards to becoming a vocal coach? Obviously, you said you used to be a performer. Well, how, how did this transition happen? Because um, I found out that I didn't want to do anything except what I loved. I just made that choice because I, you know, I've been a rocker my whole life. I've been in bands my whole life. And, uh, but in order to be, when you do original music, you have to make a living. And so I had day jobs, you know, and the yeah. office was such a grind that I decided that I, I, I want to die doing what I love no matter what. So I went down into the, the subway and started singing in the subway because I just couldn't stand going to an office anymore. And this lady came by and uh, I was just busking. I mean, I used to busk in Leicester Square. Oh, my <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so busking has always been something I love. The, 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 the underground is like kind of my, my, was my church, you know? Yeah. In between, in, you know, wine bars and everything else, I could just go down and just yell and get some money. Um, Anyway, somebody stopped by and said, would you teach me how to do that? And I said, sure, because I need, you know, why not? And I didn't realize how much I knew because I've studied voice since I was a child, you know, but it was classical voice. And I wasn't singing classical music, but I knew enough technically about the voice that when I started teaching, there was stuff that was coming out of me that I didn't even know that I knew. And I really liked it. I really liked it. And it kind of took over because it it had such a, a an impact mm. on such a long lasting impact on the person that I did it with. It was like I gave them this ability to do something that they've always wanted to do, and I found that I was good at it. And I was like, well, this is okay. Now I can eat chocolate. I don't have to, you know, <laughs> fit into that dress. I could do whatever I wear, whatever I want. Go, get, you know. I don't have to like go out with makeup, you know. I could just like be a teacher until I'm a hundred years old, and uh, and I like it. I like it, and and I never, I, I, you know, it's like sometimes I had like an in gig or a meh gig because you know not yeah. enough people showed up or the the club owner doesn't you know didn't sell enough alcohol or whatever problem problem problem, and it was just like such a grind. And um, it's old too. I mean, no. <laughs> that's the other thing is that you know how long are you gonna do it? I mean, I have a long history. Like you know, way way back when I was in my early twenties, I was one of those next big things. You know, where all the record yeah. companies are. You know, I was the thing, and I completely blew it. I completely blew it. I, I had a terrible drug problem. 
and I just blew everything out of the water just by being so out of it and just you know, yeah and and so I was kind of blacklisted but really I blacklisted myself so I had this kind of like oh I could have been a contender kind of thing going on which is so stupid because it was all baggage in my head you know but the thing is I felt insecure I didn't have that you know once I got you know clean and sober I didn't have that you know I used to have this like you know Susie with the banshees kind of mystique kind of thing and that just went out the window because I was just so dead honest you know girl next door I've got an issue you know like <laughs> I was too con confessional and confessional wasn't in style yet so it, 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 it was just all like the, the pieces moved in a certain way that I I couldn't imagine wanting to be alive if I wasn't like a rock star that was my it's like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna be the fucking best you know I had all that bravado and I sort of cleared out any opportunities that came by because I had this kind of um, narrow-minded idea yeah. of what I was supposed to do and the, you know thank God old age it makes you kind of get weary of putting yourself through problems and obstacles so um, you know it was funny everything kind of fell into place like I went into the office of um, what's this uh, Seymour Stein and I was already like late 30s. It didn't look like 30s, but I was late 30s. And I, I was in there because someone had said, you've got to hear this girl's songs. I'm singing the songs. And he says, excuse me, your songs are really great, but i got to tell you something. You're too old. And I was like, fuck. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say fuck you, right? <laughs> you know, I said, but, but the, the thing is, is that when I went to acting college, I auditioned for like RADA, Central School, you know, all the big ones, right? Mm. And the guy at Central School said, uh, Miss Murray, your destiny lies in teaching, you know. And that I almost said, fuck you. Because this guy was telling me that, uh, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm not an actress, I'm not a performer. I, I was livid. Yeah. But he was right. You know, there was something that he saw that probably reminded him of a teacher or whatever. And I did become a teacher. He was right. You know, so all these things kind of come to pass. And I'm so glad because I have the coolest job in the world. Uh, yes, you I do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> coolest job in the world. Oh, the people I get to hang out with are the best people in the world. Metal people are the best people in the world. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know why? You know why? Because... It's just like I got into music in the late 60s. I was 13 in 1968. Janis Joplin was my hero. Joni Mitchell was my hero. And that's why I wanted to do what I wanted to do because they were making a difference hmm. in the Vietnam War and like just total aesthetics, ethics, everything changed. And I was a big like proponent of that. And metal is just like that. So when I first saw it, when I was up in the balcony, and it was a show in the late 90s with um, Megadeth and Slayer and the Bad Brains. And I'm up in the balcony, and I'm seeing this, this sea of kids moshing. I'd never seen moshing before. I'd never seen it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so 
cool. <gasps> it's happening again. In fact, it's always been happening, but I just wasn't around. But, you know, it's like it's still here. Like the spirit in which I started this is still here. And God, I wish I could be a part of it, but I'm too old. Because, like, you know, I don't want to be a poser. And then within two weeks, I got the phone call from a producer in Connecticut who said he was trying to get these kids through a recording session, but he couldn't because they kept, you know, coughing blood. And I said, sure, well, I'll take a look. And he brought in Jesse Leach before, <sighs> before Kill Switch was ever, ever signed. This is way back, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, you know? Yeah. And I was, instead of saying, oh, just stop doing that. You, you can't do that and have a career. You're gonna ruin your voice. I said, you know, I'll bet I can figure this out. A bit because I've already been teaching for about 12 years and you yeah. know I got down into voice science big time like I'm a big science geek even though the science doesn't really help you perform it definitely helps you teach and I had to recover from a vocal injury that I had gotten well that's a, that's another really good story but okay. <laughs> you know what I teach is based on my recovery from singing in a punk band. Like I was in uh, punk bands like the first time around in the 70s, you know? So this is like, having been classically trained, I, um, you know, I wanted to make this sound, I wanted the exact sound of, uh, oh, what was the, it was an ACDC song. I can't even remember what it was, but I wanted to make this exact sound in this song and I did it and I practically killed myself doing it and I got an injury. And the process by which I recovered is the way that I found out like the missing link between vocal technique and non-classical music. Yeah. Because it was about voice function as opposed to what the sound of the genre was. So I always like, would study voice imitating the teacher. She do this, I do this. You know, I would do it like imitating, but I didn't know what was really going on until I recovered with a really good uh, speech therapist. And so the resonating strategy was the same for the recovery that it is for classical music. So I found that you can speak with that same resonating strategy that an opera singer uses, but it doesn't sound like opera. It sounds good. So I was like, aha. So that's how I developed the technique that I teach. And then, so when the screaming thing came, I had already been working on Janice my entire life. I already knew part of how to do that. You know, I got injured doing it, but I figured it out. <laughs> so I was kind of like the perfect person for the job. It just came. Incredible. Amazing. <laughs> my mind just went. Love it. <laughs> I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. I love it. I love being thanked by people like, you know, the band would have broken up if you hadn't come in. You know, we had to cancel Wembley. We were headlining Wembley. I had no voice. You saved me. You know, I love that. I love that. I also love to sing, but, you know, I love that more because that actually makes a big difference, you know. Yeah, it's almost like when you're watching bands live and stuff, when they record stuff, you're just like, well, that's because of me. Like, that must yeah. be an unbelievable feeling. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. It's really self, like, um, it's very affirming, oh. you know? 
Beautiful. So when you started, was the focus on metal music when you started with like the Zenith screaming and stuff, or did you just sort of fall into with metal music? Because obviously you said you were in punk. Come on, let's start off with. Oh, okay. So back then, punk was punk and metal was metal. There was, yeah. you know, now everything's kind of like cross collateralized and you know cross pollinated. But there were tribal kind of sounds, like you mm. know, the black metal, death metal had this like woof, and then you know, like metalcore had this like sha, you know, like it, it, yeah. it had like these little tribal noises. It was very um, partitioned. Yeah, it's not like that anymore. Uh, but the way that uh, it, it uh, uh, wait, what was your original question? Because that's what I was going to answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I know what it was. I know what it was. You see, the metal community is super small. Everybody knows everybody. It's very friendly. So Jesse told Brian Fair from Shadows Fall. Brian Fair from Shadows Fall told Jamie Josta from Hatebreed, but he never showed up, but he told everybody that he was coming. So I had this like, immediately had about 12 people that were told that I'd figured it out. Oh. <laughs> and they all came and every, in the beginning I was so nervous that it wasn't going to come out right because I just kind of figured it out so I had these like really like tatted up inked up like <laughs> giant like really brutal looking guys walking down the hall and I was like oh god I hope I do this right because I'm like <laughs> I'm this little lady you know this little old school teacher lady saying okay come in sonny let me see you you know it's going okay you know so, <laughs> It worked. I mean, I in no time, in less than a year, I had more people than I could possibly teach because that movement was very, very healthy and very strong and it needed sustainability. And that it, you know, it wasn't about just doing shows on the weekend anymore. It was about doing shows like now you got to like do 25 shows a month for five to eight years before you're, a, you know, a dot on the map. So um, it, it, it needed sustainability. So I like to think of myself as having something to do with the, just the sustainability of the genre itself. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about that. To be fair. What you're saying, like, with all these metal people, just when you mentioned the guy from Shadows Fall, I'm like, just a that guy is huge and his dreads are ridiculous as well. I can only imagine this guy walking towards you and be like, hello? <laughs> <laughs> Or the guy, you know, Byron from uh, God Forbid, that, you know, that, that was... Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah like, this guy is, like, massive, right? He looks like, you know, big shit house coming down. You know, I was like, and this, this is the sweetest, sweetest man. These are the most gentle, polite, introverted, self-effacing people. They don't look like they... They don't act like that looks. And so I became more familiar with even the purity of music itself through this you know journey because in the you know my first concert was the who oh and wow. i was 11, right <laughs> it was before tommy you know this is way <laughs> back i saw and then i saw them again um in the uk at um swansea football club and there was yeah. a, a, a prison and as soon as they did Baba O'Reilly, right? And then the, the whole prison went, Aah! like it just <laughs> shook. Like these are historic moments, 
that I remember in my life and I was reliving them again in the metal world. I was like really excited about that togetherness of the metal world. I'm still in love with it. I still have deep respect, I deep respect for metal. So what I love about you is the fact that your work, like this reading interviews and stuff like you've legitimized metal singing as an art form instead of someone just you know screaming nonsense which let's be honest is a belief most people have about rock music and you know you've had so were you a you said you're a fan of rock and metal like early punk and stuff like were you a fan of the hardcore screaming stuff before getting into this line of work or is it something you became a fan of through your work okay so here, <laughs> you know that that's my own you know when i got sober like i, I there was um, this transition that I made from my electric guitar to my acoustic guitar. So I became much more of a like singer songwriter. I call it issue rock, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's for all from now on. And I was doing that for about five or six years in, in, in a confessional kind of thing. And then I got sick of that. And by the time I got sick, see, it, it's all like my musical tastes kind of shifted during that acoustic period. But I always had an acoustic thing because I, you know, I like Ralph McTell. I liked, you know, uh, Nick Drake. I like, you know, Richard Thompson. I love Fairport Convention. I've always had that 60s kind of folk, uh, Joni Mitchell. But I also have this and you know, I love Jimi Hendrix and Janice. Like that was both of those things were part of me, but I shifted into the acoustic thing. And then I got sick of the issue rock and got back into my electric guitar and writing with electric guitar, right? But all that stuff, like when I was like the next big thing, I was the next big thing in terms of like new wave because that metal thing kind of departed from new wave. New wave was like, you know, mods and, and and punk and metal became like rockers like it was just yeah. it, it it divided so there was this grunge thing which was really pop music compared to you know what was going on in the clubs mm. you know the screaming thing was going on in the clubs they were you know kurt cobain had distortion in his voice but he didn't have pure screaming it wasn't like non-melodic it was always melodic so yeah. I stayed melodic for a, a very long time until somebody asked me. I had not really been exposed to that screaming thing, except one time I heard it on the radio. Uh, this is another really, this is the story. I, I have so many stories. I'm sorry. It's like, it's all good. I when I did this show, I did this showcase and three major labels were all there at this showcase. And it was like, um, it was, wasn't called Sony then, it was called Columbia, yeah. Warner Brothers, and this label called Chrysalis, which had um, Billy Idol and Pat Benatar and Divine Olsen, right? They were all there, and I bombed so badly, so badly that I went into exile. And when I was in exile in Connecticut, I heard on late night radio that the left of the dial this screaming and I was like, what is that? What's going on? And I kind of saw these like squatter kids in the hardcore thing. Like I saw this on the edge, but it didn't seem to relate to me until I saw it, you know, that Megadeth 
you know, Slayer concert, I was like, oh. Because, you know, there was Pantera, there was Metallica, but they still had melodic stuff. Like I wasn't, uh, I was, uh, you know, and Selma was still singing melodies, you know, it, that when Killswitch, when Jesse from Killswitch came, he was, there were parts that were all screamed. There was no melody. And that was brand new to me, but I loved it. I loved it because that was like taking it to a whole nother level of theatricality, of expression. But, you know, it wasn't going to be able to stick around if you couldn't figure out how to do that every day, every night. So I figured it out. I, I figured out how to imitate it because I'm a good mimic, like I said in our, the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a good mimic. And I went to the doctor's office and had him put the camera down my throat. And I took a look at what was going on. And that's how I figured it out. So, um, so clever. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's what I did. I'm still doing those experiments with the cameras. Now I'm using high speed, you know, uh, imaging so that you can see it in slow motion. So, you know, I really like to pioneer like ways in which it's, you see, it's not about, it's not about volume. That was the big wake up call is that because human perception hearing wise is more sensitive at a certain frequency level, which you learn, you know, as an engineer, when you're doing the Fletcher Munson curve, there's a very high frequency that is much louder to humans than other lower frequencies. And the voice can access that only by doing a certain thing. And you can't hear that note like a note on the piano. It's something that, it's an overtone and it's so high that it's off the piano, way up there. But by accessing a certain resonating strategy in the vocal tract, right, it's louder just by this resonating space, not by the effort. So I had to replace overtones instead of overuse. Because the basic premise, you know, most, most metal people think that the more effort and the more intense they feel the feeling, the better the sound. And that is not right. Wow. That is how they get hurt. Because effort equals quality. But that's very wrong. Because if you effort, you can't get that resonance because the space closes. So um, if you make the sound of like a car, if you go... You hear that squealy thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that is, when that hits a microphone, that is huge. But it's not that loud when I do it. It's just that the microphone picks up that bouquet of overtones. And that frequency sits over that double kick, that bass, those double guitars. You know, it, it sits up there. It doesn't compete with the low and the mids of the band. So you can scream your head off as loud as you can and you still will not compete with a double kick and a bass it's not possible because it unless you do another frequency that is so far away from that you, you won't be heard because it cancels itself out that's fascinating so, i know i'm just like because <laughs> <laughs> you do with metal singing you do think it's about volume like as a complete amateur just listening to it you, you would yes. think it's about volume Yes, that's amazing. But it's not about volume; it's about frequency range. So, so yeah. 
who are your you're probably gonna say everyone who are the people you love working with the most or is there no is it just everybody generally well i love everybody for a different reason so yeah i don't have one piece of criteria that you know makes it one person better than another but there are some really compelling people in fact all of them are very compelling i would say that the reason that these people are so successful is because they are very much themselves and they're fabulous people and they're smart and clever and talented like i like i like working with um, john dyer beasley from baroness a lot yeah. i like working with um uh spencer chamberlain from under oath i like working with randy bly from lamb of god I love working with Jesse Leach. I love working with Corey Taylor because these are great people. They, you know, their voices are the way they are because the the soul is the way it is. Yeah. Mm. You know, that's what having a great voice is uncovering the unique voice of a great soul. It's not about painting on sounds, although you know that resonance thing is a that just helps me as a teacher with a the, a throat shape you know if yeah. i if i go eh, if i do that kind of screaming that it's like vomiting right i have less of a capability of getting that that resonance so you want to like not scream the same way through the whole song you have to scream from your heart and you as a teacher i set up parameters of what's going to work um frequency wise and what's not going to work because everybody has a different voice you know some people are baritone some people are tenor some people have smaller vocal folds or longer ones like the deeper or bigger the voice the longer the vocal tract right the fatter the vocal folds those guys can get away with like that you know throw up kind of um uh <laughs> i call it throw up technique because it involves a, like a gag it involves like uh, you know that that's not great for sopranos you know it's just it's like really hard to do a show that's not really built for your voice but you can still make a really badass sound with whatever you've got you just got to know what the strategy is that's best for you but it comes from these great souls that's it comes from the soul that's beautiful <laughs> and the harder the life the better <laughs> <laughs> stuff, i'm telling you the people that suffered the most are the best because they got <laughs> nothing to lose they're like complete toast you know i'm yeah. toasted i'm dead i'm dead already you can't kill me here it is those are the best performers that's incredible that. <laughs> so on your site you possibly have the longest list of clients of people you've worked with i've ever <laughs> seen on any website in the history of the world um, <laughs> But I was, I, when I was reading through it, I was amazed to see it wasn't just modern artists. Like you were talking before how you saw Megadeth and Slayer and Dave Mustaine and Tom Morea are on that list. So do these people yeah. have been doing it for quite some time come to you to learn new techniques or is it more of a way to preserve their voice after they've been doing this for so many years? It's usually, um, well, like with Tom Morea, it, it was a situation where he had had a, a, some surgery uh, for... Um, you know there is this um well I, I i it may not be the exact there are definite procedures that are common to metal musicians and one of them is the neck surgery for head banging and there's a neurological problem and many people have this have had this problem 
where after years and years and years of doing this, right, it starts to have, you know, make uh, problems in the fingers and the hands and neck and pain and entrapment and all that stuff. So he, there was a surgical procedure that scared him and he felt like he couldn't scream anymore. And basically that was just all about, dude, there's nothing wrong with you. They didn't go anywhere near your vocal folds and you have more now because you're older. So don't worry about it. It, it could be just something, just one incident like that. Like I, I didn't really teach Tom Ray anything. I just told him that he had nothing to worry about. You know, that's, that's important for someone who's been off the road for a couple of years and mm. comes back on and feels like the knife, the surgeon's knife might have gotten too close. But I didn't really teach him anything. I just reminded him of what he's capable of. You know, I put together like a, a whole bouquet of like screams that he had done, you know, and said, this is an F sharp and look at this one. Look, at you could still do this. You got this, you know. And I found out that he used to be a respiratory therapist as a day job, I said, dude, you know how to do this. Like, just, you know, relax. <laughs> Shut yeah, up, you know, up with it. <laughs> just, just relax. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, like the thing about uh, with, um, oh, I'm not supposed to talk about that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> non disclosure on that one. Uh, but anyway, there's like a lot of times, um, Sometimes it's just one thing, like with, with Corey, he got sick and, and it was uh, right after the um, subliminal versus, during the subliminal versus tour. In that record, he was asked to do a lot more singing in Slipknot, right? Mm. So there was this skill that was scream sing scream sing all within a short period of time and he got sick like had a bad cold so that was when i got brought on like slipknot was already like huge before Corey mm. taylor came but because he got a hemorrhage and i was there to help him through that injury and i also taught him how to be make a better transition you know again it's about not efforting. And so I teach people how to stop with the effort equals quality thing and do the, you know, the moving parts. Like a class with me is not screaming the whole time. A class with me is building the moving parts of the mechanism of the breath pressure, of the shape of the back of the throat, of the function at the level of the vocal folds. You know, what are, are the vocal folds making a note by doing this or is it going, uh, or is it doing uh, like which one is it doing yeah. uh, see there's there's different things going on there and by knowing all of those things you get this ability to recall it when you feel it and that's a, 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 a connection that is holy you know to intend something to mean something is the way that your voice works if I go, oh my God, you know, I didn't choreograph, duh, duh, duh. I just felt something and it was straight out of the box, pure. And that is very important for a performer. That authenticity is a, the holy connection. So by learning mechanical things and awarenesses, you feel something and you can do it without thinking about it. And that's what I do. It's just about awareness.
it's just incredible the passion in your voice the way you're talking yeah. about what you do it's just, i'm just i'm so like glued like i'm forgetting my questions <laughs> that's okay i love it i just think it's fascinating because it's my, one of my favorite phrases is organized chaos oh, i yes. really like the idea of 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 chaos the 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 feeling of chaos, but the excellence of form, you know, the, the quality and the excellence of like a very succinct and efficient form of delivering something that seems like chaos, but actually it's not. I just love that kind of paradoxical kind of thing, like screaming is not loud. That's a great paradox. It's not about volume. I love those paradoxes. <laughs> I just love that about life, you know. Like it's not what it seems. It's never what it seems. Yeah, this is just oh, I, yeah. I'm blown away. I'm absolutely blown away. <laughs> <laughs> do you okay. think? Do you think anyone could learn to sing, or is it something you need to have that natural talent for that can just be enhanced and the skills owned? I think that. Are you talking about singing melody, or are you talking about screaming? Either go for it, why not? Well, okay, so really both of those in terms of non-classical music are acting gigs. It's an acting gig. So if you are um, a, a great performer is not somebody who goes on and tries to sound like something. A great performer mm. is someone who comes on and sounds exactly what they mean because they have to go to that feeling in order to get the audience to identify with the feeling that they've had also and make that connection with the sound and what they see. And that's more of an acting thing. It's not about the quality or isolating the sound of the voice. Although there are some things that can make the sound of the voice very compelling. And that has to do with like resonance and technical things. But the issue is, can I do it? Is can I act and make it compelling? Because just about any sound can be compelling. Bob Dylan did not have a really pleasant sounding voice, but he was so captivating. Same with Tom Waits or like, uh, you know, you could like love any voice because there's something about it that just gets you. Yeah. And then th my job is to make that sustainable, to make that, voice as good of itself that it could be it's not to like paint the sound on there now when you have musical notes and there's pitch matching involved some people are better than that than others just neurologically so those people would have more work to do but they can learn it whether it comes off you know off the top of their head like it did with whitney houston or celine dion who knows right but you can work on all of these things these things can be taught you know, whether they are enjoyable. That's the important thing is that if you don't love that singing that you're doing, if you're doing it because you are like, you know, one of those people that can only be satisfied with the love of a million strangers for whatever reason, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, it, that, get, that bites you because there's never enough of that. If you are up there to try and, and we all started that way. And anyone who says otherwise, any guy that says he got in a band for any other reason than to get girls is lying. 
<laughs> just like I knew that I, I couldn't get a boyfriend being any other. I mean, the girls that could sing and play guitar, they, got, they didn't have to be pretty. They were just cool. That's why I picked up a guitar because I wasn't like the cheerleader or like the most popular girl. But there was this other like kind of like, I call them spooky chicks. I was a spooky chick, you know, black, dark, you know. <laughs> the, the, the guitar made it, you know, acceptable, you know. Mm. And so uh, uh, that was needing mass love, you know. That's why I got good at it because I needed more. And, but the thing is, is that there's never enough because more and more and more, it's still not coming because I'm not able to receive it. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's not how many people are not there. It's how I can't, that's what that's about. So sometimes the hard work it takes to, to survive in the music business is much too hard for people that don't have the, you know, the right reason for yes it. yeah so you know it could be it's a tough life but i say to people if you could do anything else do it <laughs> if there's anything that you can do for a living except front a band do that yeah because you're meant to be in it if there's no possibility of anything else that, whether that's true or not, but if you believe that, then that's why you have to do it. And because you love it, because that's what you're supposed to do. But to do it to get, you know, to, to feel better, it doesn't work. Because I know a lot of people that, well, we all know some people that didn't feel better because they mm -hmm. were sad, you know, clinically sad. So it takes a very strong person to survive. You are a true inspiration. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, when you first started out, then did you ever expect you'd be where you are today? Never. No. Never. If you told me that, like at at my age and looking like I do, that I would, you know, have like a million views on YouTube because of screaming. What? No way. <laughs> <laughs> That is so surreal. That is so surreal. Like I, I look like a, you know, a soccer mom or, you know, a, a, a PTA little, like a school teacher. Like you know, somebody said, somebody said she looks like that kind of mom that, that that's cool and lets you drink in the basement before you're, you know, you're of age or, you know, <laughs> it, it was kind of cool. Well, that's what made it such an interesting story also because i'm kind of lucky like that like i don't look like someone who's you know a screamer i don't look like that so it's very surprising to people when i come up with these like sounds <laughs> but i could not have, i couldn't have made this up like you can't make this up right this is I'm blessing so really it's incredible so it's incredible yeah so lucky just Love just it. follow the love i just enjoyed it it's great that's good I got to be a, like kind of a rock star by not being a real rock, rock star. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Great. And I could still eat the chocolate cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Oh, I love it. So, also, we were just saying, you know, rock stars are known for being larger than life characters. You know, 
So have you got any weird and wonderful stories from over the years of experience with these stars that you're allowed to tell anyway? Oh God, so many. <laughs> That's the answer I was kind of hoping for. <laughs> okay, so, okay, this is one of my favorites. This is one of my favorites. Um, Randy from Lamb of God was in town for voice lessons and he had this hobby at the time, I think he still has it, where he collects bull whips. You know, those are those whips with the, like the tails that, you know, the circus master, like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. those whips, like, whips, right? And he said, do you know where I could get, like, do, you know, I hear you can get everything in New York City, like, where should I go to find the whips, right? And I said, the only place I knew was like the sex street, like Christmas. <laughs> I knew they'd have lots of whips there, right? So there we went down to the village, down to Christopher Street. We're going down to these basement shops and he finds this like really like amazing looking whip. So we take it up to the counter, right? And the girl goes, so is it for you or is it for her? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, it's for both of us. I'm his mother. Oh, that's my favorite. Incredible. She was like beat red. Oh, she you know? shit herself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is magical. Oh, I love that so much. Oh, and there's like some great stuff with um, with Danny Filth. I mean, Danny Filth is like the funniest person on earth. And I've met Danny. So yeah. When I went to visit with Danny in. Um, in uh, Lincolnshire, there there was this haunted kind of thing going on at the recording studio out in the middle of nowhere. With there's a cemetery and a pub and a post office. That's the only thing, and the full moon and the woo woo right. And you Sounds know, very done, and yeah. he has like this kind of you know healthy uh, affection for the occult. But it was just there was so much spinal tap in that visit. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it was so unbelievable. Like the fact that the drummer they had to reprogram all the drums because the drummer sent away his drum set to have it dyed the same color of his girlfriend's hair. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, like stuff like that. Like little little things. You know, they had to like they need to redo the drums, but the drums weren't available, so they had to redo the drums like trigger them with some something yeah. anyway it was just like every day was spinal tap every day was and it was funny and it was great and i, and I have so many stories like that but you so write a book i was yeah. that to be fair so and it just you, gets better and better it just gets better and better I do you travel much then obviously before covid do you travel quite a bit with your job um most people come through new york but sometimes in an emergency, I know that I traveled for, um, for Matt and Tuck, and oh, yeah. I traveled for uh, Ollie, Oliver Sykes. Yeah. Um, but usually it's like they're always coming through here at some point, right? And it's better for me to do it in my space because I've got my grand piano and I've got you know, I've got all my toys and everything. So yeah, I yeah. like to do it. Um, Zoom's pretty good. Um, I, I I was already doing Zoom before COVID. So okay. um, I'm, I'm getting, they really do need to 
beef up the technology with the latency thing. And I know, um, you know, I cannot, there are certain things I can't do on Zoom, and that is I cannot play at, at the same time as the student. So I have to get, there's ways I get around that, but mm. that's, I wish that, why can't we have that already? Like, why yeah. can't we have, why can't we have this thing where I play this note, B, and you could sing it at the same time? Why can't yeah. we be in two places at once? Yeah. I think it's on the way. I think Fingers it's crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think it's happening. I mean, there there are some, you know, softwares for, you know, that people are trying to monetize that kind of take it and, you know, spit it out, but it's very perfunctory and, and not user-friendly and not nice. So, you know, I like to, you know, feel the client in real time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, also really hard to teach rhythm this way. So I have to make like little exercise templates that they could do with the recording with the recording to me so I can help them that way. But I can't generate the the rhythm and then because it's off. It's off. Oh, Zoom, sort your shit out. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need somebody that can like take away the latency. Yes. But, I mean CBS News, the news can't even do it yet. You know, even on the newscast, they're still like, you know, well, I'll take it, take it away, Bob. And then Bob goes. <laughs> yes well but like <laughs> there's always like five seconds before bob says anything so good <laughs> oh. so, uh, do you have any regular clients who aren't from the rock and metal genre yes you i do. do um i can't remember who i've got right now but i've had uh uh uh, I had Kevin Bacon once. What? Uh, an actor. Uh, that was funny because he, I forgot he did music. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, he he um, his son is a metal kid, and so his son was doing my warm up exercises, and his dad heard it and said, "I want to do those. Those those seem really good." So he left me a message. Back then, it was like an answer machine, right? It was a, you know, yeah. he left a message on my answer machine. Amazing. He said, Hello, my name is Kevin Bacon. I'm an actor, and I'd like to inquire if Melissa's team. I'm an actor. <laughs> what? It's <laughs> like my name is Kevin Bacon. I'm an actor. Like, <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> So, and he called me back. I mean, I called him back and then he left me a message. Oh my God, I can't believe you called me yourself. And I was like, dude, I can't believe you called me at all. Like, <laughs> like I'm a metal person. You're a movie star. Like, what's up? Like, what do you want? <laughs> and he, he, was a, he was a great, he was a great client. Because I do teach singing. You know, yeah. before I was... Um, a, a screamer specialist. My people would come to me because they couldn't get the Broadway out of their voice. So I had a lot of Broadway performers that sounded too pretty and they wanted to like sort of grit up. And, and about that time, there was this gritty sound, damaged sound is what that's called, that was getting to be popular. There was uh, Bonnie Tyler, 
Kim Carnes, Melissa Etheridge, like there was this sort of revisiting of raspy voice that happened in the 90s. And so I was kind of like the girl that you go to learn that. And then okay. that just sort of evolved into, you know, the other thing. So I do teach, still teach, like I teach um, the girl from of Monsters and Men um, from oh, yeah. Iceland. I mean, I do teach singers, 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 singers. And, you know, Rob Flynn is becoming a crooner. I, I kid you not, the guy has an amazing voice. You're going to see something really amazing from the lead singer of Machine Head. And it's not, it's going to blow your mind because it's going to sound just like, you know, Eddie Vedder. It's not going to sound. I can't wait to hear that. Yeah, no, it's a beauty of a voice. Beauty of a voice. That was the same as David Draymond. You know, I saw David Draymond sing at his wedding. I was like, dude, you can't hide that. You know, you cannot hide that from the world. It was, it was kind of like back then it was sissy. It was pussy to like sing well. That would be so like th that would like betray the fans if you sounded nice. So that was like you know you would see them you know talking happily with a friend and a fan comes up and say, "Hey man, what's up?" You know like there's this kind of posturing with screaming that was very uh, difficult to get over. So I'm really happy to see that you know. Corey Taylor was always a singer, right? Mm. Spencer Chamberlain was always a singer. Even Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die was always a great singer. And David Draymond was always a great singer, but they sub subliminated, sublimated that, um, that part of their voice to be in keeping with the brutality of the mm. genre. But I, I was glad, did. I was like, like, this is bullshit, guys. Come on, grow up. <laughs> like, that is a beautiful sounding voice. Like, you cannot hide that. And sure enough, the sound of silence, like, swept the world. Yeah, I was going to say, he blew people away with that. So Isn't what makes that me beautiful? Laugh about, yeah, that song is unbelievable. What makes me laugh so much about it, though, is people heard that song and went, oh, my God, he's gone by that album. Then had never listened to Disturbed before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we're like, exactly. uh, what exactly. is this? <laughs> exactly. Have you heard the new one? Have you heard the new one? He did uh, um, cover the Sting's uh, If I Should Ever Lose My Faith. I have not heard that, no. <gasps> oh, my God. No, I'm... He's so good. This one's even better than The Sound of Silence. Really? Okay, I'll start after this. <laughs> yeah. It's Can we just point out, I love the way you dropped the fact that you were at David Draymond's wedding. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't mean to do that. That sounds really like... That's just all good. I love we it. Love. We love it. No, we, we've got some questions that were sent in by listeners. And stuff, but before I get into them, Tom, have you got any other questions you wanted to ask? There's just one. Uh, as a massive A Day to Remember fan, like yeah. insanely so, working with Jeremy McKinnon, how, well, I, I just want to know what that was like. Really? Uh, it's like he's so smart, he's so clever, and he's very talented, and he's a really, really hard worker. I've never seen anyone with the stamina that that guy has. He has really? incredible stamina. He did, um, like I hadn't seen him for a while, and then maybe I hadn't seen him for a couple of years, and he, he came and did a show, and they did three records all in a row. They had no yeah. support. They took wow. all three, three spots and did three different records and he went straight through and didn't miss a beat. 
He's amazing. Oh, so I love him amazing. so <laughs> And he's so, so smart. And I said, I can't believe the stamina you have. And he said, it's all because of you. I was like, oh, stop. It's true. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> You've cracked the code, you. Melissa. You've cracked it. You know what? <laughs> I do. I, and you know what? It's completely technical. It is all about coordinating breath pressure and vocal fold closure. It's all about the onset. That's all it is. It's very simple. You know, it's not about associating the feelings necessary with the execution of the sound. The yeah. feelings have to be separated and go in the heart. And the sound comes. And that's pure old big theater school stuff that is stuff i learned as a you know in in college and even in you know music school before i mean i've just been studying it since i was a child so it, it, it's all technical but it's the, the the real gift is the soul yeah that's where and jeremy mckinnon has an amazing soul oh just that's made me so happy thank you <laughs> I think it's safe to say that guy's Tom's dream guest for this podcast. Yeah. yeah. I would not to do it myself. <laughs> it's so wonderful that you know that that you love these people and it's not necessarily the sound of their voice, it's the soul that comes mm. out through that 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 speaks. So that's key to like being able to preserve that. Because if I was teaching sounds, then I would be ruining everybody. Yeah. And making like these kind of prefabricated, you know, results. We do this or do that. Right? I just tell them these are functions. This is function one, function two, function three. Now go out and sing a song and mean it from your heart, right? And then if the body memory kind of takes over, that oh, I can, I, I do this, and it's as soon as they stop thinking about volume, it's best, right? Then it becomes. It's not about the the thing about screaming is that <gasps> like there's all this extra like effort being done that has nothing to do with the vocal folds like you know like face yeah. and you know everything else <laughs> the face is important by the way the face makes oh, the yeah. sound louder because if you do like, like that it's much much more loud <laughs> plus it just looks more cool wonderful <laughs> yeah, we've got some questions from um from listeners if you don't mind as well um, Alex Whiteley, he asks, how important do you think it is to accentuate one's accent? Like, does it add something unique and different to an individual's development? The question being stemmed from your work with Simon Neal from Biffy Clyro, like, you can tell that guy is Scottish when he sings, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. God, do I love that band. I've always oh, loved so that good. band. Yeah. yeah. I have loved that band from the very beginning. Um, I, um, I think that it's about being real. It's not about the sound, like there's certain vowels that don't translate as well as others, but it doesn't really matter because you're not going for a good sound. And it's particularly with Simon, you know, it's about being real. Mm. You know, those songs, those songs are so I'm good. Both. The new album is I, incredible. Oh, I can't, oh, I haven't heard it. I can't wait. I oh. saw a live stream the other day, which was phenomenal. So I'm... Um, I'm a big Biffy Cairo fan and I haven't seen him for 20 years, right? You know, oh, wow, wow. For 20 years. He was, you know, he was a, 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 a kind of a raver, you know, like, <laughs> he wasn't like a, one of those uh, going to home to practice now. 
not one of those kind of guys, right? He was like a real party guy. So, you know, I don't know if I actually helped him or not, but I certainly still love him just as much. I hope I did. And I hope he comes back, but I haven't seen him for quite a long time, but I have major respect. Wonderful. Um, my, fr my friend Andy simply wants to say thank you because he used to be a vocalist in a metal band and because of the Zenith Screaming, it saved his voice because he really strained himself years ago and you saved his voice. I live for that. Because when Mena messaged him saying who was coming on the show, he was like, oh my God, tell her thank you. She saved my career. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite moment is when I get to like, some band didn't like bite the dust because of vocal problems. You know, that's such a pity. So Gemma, Gemma Williams asks two questions. First off, how sexy is Corey Taylor in real life? <laughs> oh, okay, so I, I, I have a kind of maternal thing about Corey Taylor, so I can't go to that place. <laughs> I, uh, but I, I, the, the thing about Corey Taylor is that he is so vulnerable and so sensitive to me i see the tears of a clown you know i see the damage of what he went through as a mm. child and as a teenager and i see so clearly how he is uh like an open wound right yeah. and he's very uh and so i see that corey has a showman uh finesse He's a great showman. Yes, he is. He's a really yes. good actor, a good showman. And he uses that to cover up some of that pain. So sometimes when I see Corey do his like showman thing, I was like, I know what you're hiding. I know how you really feel right now. You know, I'm always like looking past like the, because he's always true, but he has this kind of um, suave presentation skill that is kind of, uh, it's not this, I, I know that there's deep pain there, that that is used to put up a wall, kind of. So I'm always looking at the sensitive child angel behind there because I can feel it. Yeah. Anyway, he's a, he's a piece of work. So I don't call that, that's not sexy. That's just profoundly interesting and fulfilling. You know, of course, you know, I'm a bit of an old dog. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Absolute bollocks. There's no way to talk to our guests. <laughs> I don't think I'd be doing that kind of, doing the wild thing with Corey Taylor. Anyway, I, the thing is, is that a lot of these guys, you know, they have like a kind of, I'm not saying it's sexist. I'm just saying it's, there's a, there's a kind of predatory kind of aspect to metal and you know groupies and stuff like that and so that has always been like you know kind of uh, i don't want to be like yeah. the girl on the bus kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i always tell like girl singers like do not go on the bus unless you're part of the show <laughs> Her second question was, how do you know when listening to someone sing, like how far the levels of their voice go? Like how can you tell someone's limits as such? Limits? There are no limits. That's Ooh, that, that we have to get rid of the idea of limits yeah. because 
that people who think how high can I go and how low can I go are already barking up the wrong tree because when they say how high they've got this geographical idea that sound is crawling on the ceiling or sound is you know walking on the floor there's no up there there's just a faster vibration there's a slower vibration so I try to uncover all the mythology about sound itself so that they stop putting these ideas of limitations oh I'm a baritone I can only go to this or range has nothing to do with voice type you know it mm. range has to do with the, the length of the vocal tract and also coordination I mean you could have you could be a tenor singer and you could have four octaves so that means you could sing low and high but the quality of, of your sound would be different because so there's so many things to unpack about people's ideas so how can I tell their range or how can I tell I think that was that perhaps he was asking how loud they can be because it's not about being loud it's not about volume it's not about high or low there's this idea of even the word warm up vocal warm up that sounds like you're going to do something like cardio you know or <laughs> you know, isometrics right warm up i'm warming up my voice your vocal folds are less than three centimeters long right so you don't, you don't need like gross motor burning calories for a warm-up it's about coordination right <laughs> there's all these like myths about the voice that are you know the the vocal teaching community hasn't really changed much since the 1800s uh although it's changing now for sure that just but. makes me think of when i met the guy the the singer from ed guy i don't know if you know but I literally went to talk to him i was like oh he's like sorry saving my voice and walked off oh. i was like oh thanks mate <laughs> walked around with a towel around his neck he's like saving my voice okay whispering <laughs> is the worst thing the worst thing that you could do when you just whisper do you realize how just do that again say saving my voice yeah. So you're using the muscles in your larynx to say the words. Your mouth is supposed to say the words, not the muscles in your throat. It's like the worst thing. They think that because the sound is less volume, it's less stressful. But there's nothing more stressful than whispering. Oh, shit. That's no, that's time. What have gone? Bullshit, sir. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I even made signs for people to wear that said, I'm on vocal rest. It has my name. Melissa Cross says, I'm on vocal rest. So everyone comes up and says, you know, starts talking. They have this sign that says, That's amazing. That is so clever. <laughs> so Brett Holland asks, what are the, what exercises are the best to help with breathing? Ah, oh, I get that question a lot. Okay. First of all, do not think about breathing. <laughs> if you think about anything, you go, uh, and you stop breathing. See, if you go to that part of the brain that does math problems or judges or conceptualizes, the breathing stops and that completely puts the sound out of the window. So you cannot think breathing. Singer's breathing is not in, <gasps> singer's breathing is a balance of like, being on top of a pillow it's almost like an accordion player he doesn't smash the thing together for every note he has this tank of air and then he's like all the notes are on top of this sort of tank well that's what singers lungs are and there's no because air is not part of the sound when if you if you put your hand in front of your mouth 
and you blow on your hand and go, ah, right? You feel air. Yeah. But if you go, ah, there's no air on your hand. Sound is not made of air. Unless it sounds like this. That's airy. But, you know, <laughs> that's, but, ah, 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 there's no air in there. So the idea that you need more air for better sound is bullshit. Right? If you have too much air, you're too full and you can't, you know, like this. It's in them live. You know what the best sound for the best exercise for breathing is? To take the sound of S, as in sound, and make little S's that go and feel how you're like on top of air. You're not exhaling, you're not inhale, you're just both. Because in between each S, there's a little air that comes in and out. So there's this interchange of and that's how small it is. It's not a giant breath for a giant note. It is an equilibrium of maintaining this steady amount of air in the lungs all the time. So the strength of the voice comes from working what I call the hoo-hoo. Oh, <laughs> wow. Hoo -hoo, the hoo-hoo, and that's like gender fluid because it used to be called dump for guys at baby and something else for ladies, right? But, you know, we had to like stop the gender thing, right? Yeah. And so hoo-hoo, everybody's got a hoo-hoo, right? So if you take the sound of S and you start super quietly and you get louder, you start When you get louder, there's something that happens behind, but underneath the, the waistline that I call hoo-hoo, which is like blowing a balloon in your hoo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't think about that because that's like thinking about your big toe on the accelerator when you drive. You yeah. don't think about your big toe. It's all part of like the whole equation. So there's this sort of balance of strengthening that hoo-hoo muscle, but you have to use it in coordination with a sound. So like getting louder, do the, okay, so here's the greatest exercise. If you put your hands between your nose and your top lip, and you try to make this like um, siren sound where you go, yee, yee, yee. when you do that, yee, you feel something fill up in the hoo-hoo area, right? <laughs> right? It's something that when it goes, yee, like it's part of your whole body. You're not using the muscles in your neck and your throat to make that, yee, there's something very all-encompassing of the entire body when that happens. That's natural. That's what singer's breathing is. It's as natural as it can be. But if you try to like pump your belly and suck in your stomach and all that is such crap. It's absolute crap. Like do not try to regulate like breathing because you're, you'll go, oh, uh, wait, what was I, I was supposed to breathe now? Um, I'm holding my breath trying to think about what I'm supposed to do about breathing. Yeah. It's like, so the, the strengthening the hoo-hoo muscle if you take the sound of T and D, so you have, if you go T and then go D, so you have I can do that forever, right? And after about 20 times, it starts to ache a little bit. That's the singer mojo. That's the singer muscle, is that, that feeling of like contraction below the waist, but you can't do it out of context. 
Beautiful. I can't think of a better way to end our questions than that, really. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> and how to strengthen your hoo-hoo area. It was wonderful. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> before we get out of here, we really should mention properly the Zen is Screaming. Um, please tell our listeners what exactly it is and where they can find it. And... Oh, okay. So the Zen is Screaming recently is now a digital download at store.melissacross.com. Now you can buy it on Amazon and you can buy it in music stores. That's through a distribution agreement that I have with uh, worldwide with Alfred Music. And unfortunately, that way is only via a DVD. So not everybody has a DVD player that's working anymore. So I had to get with the times. However, I found a much better way to teach than the DVD. Because this is absolutely dynamic, new information, one-on-one, online. I'm doing classes. And I figured out a way to offer like the same technique that I offer everybody, the same knowledge. But I can do it in a group setting for a fraction of the price. So they are basics that everybody has to learn. Before you, you know before you have any success, there are moving parts that need to be coordinated and that can be taught in a group on a group way. I figured that out. So those classes, they happen every couple of months. There's like, there's a, it's 13 hours of class for literally one, the price of one and a half private lessons, right? You get 13 hours. Wow. And so it's everything. It's the exercises. It's everything. But I'm on one-on-one in Zoom. So anybody who wants to work on an exercise, it's amazing. They come and work on the exercise and people listen and they learn from me working with them. It's even better than private because you hear somebody else struggling what you are struggling with. They go, yeah. Oh, mm. so that is working out really well. That, that's called scream. I mean, speak, sing, scream. And what I do is I address the speaking voice, the technique in the context of a speaking voice. So you don't have to worry about pitch matching or screaming or anything stylistic. It's just brass tacks. Like this is breathing. This is placement. This is blah, blah, blah. And then it goes into the singing class because that's how you start getting into the resonance stuff. But it's really easy because it's all about physical feelings that you just imagine. It's not technical. It's just... um, imaginative and then the people that do the speak and this and the sing class the screaming class is a piece of cake the people who go straight into the scream class because you can take these one at a time in any order that you want but the people that do the speak class before the scream class it's a piece of cake and you do just scream because you don't have those basics it's very difficult it's very it's difficult because you're going to be imitating because you don't have the steering wheels you're just like doing yeah. imitations. So this is yeah. a whole paradigm change of being sound as opposed to making sound. And that's why it's called the Zen of, because Zen is being in the moment. So instead of singing, ah, I am going to be an ah by going, ah, like I am the ah. <laughs> I'm holding up like a teepee and it's a ah, and I'm not listening to my voice because I'm communicating something that's much more abstract and that's what I'm feeling. So I try not to choreograph my voice, but I try to like keep the channels open so that it just, it's not judged and, and um, calculated. 
or contrived. See, honesty is the best. That's Always the best. love it. Always is. That's why you like Jeremy McKinnon. <laughs> <laughs> My boy, he wonderful. Truth, man. He tells the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, where can people find you on the internet, the uh, the old social medias, etc.? Okay, so the, the 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 classes and the DVD are at store.melissacross.com, and on Instagram it's called at Zen of Screaming, and on Twitter it's at Melissa Cross. And, uh, you know, Facebook, there's the Melissa Cross Vocal Studio. And then there's, I think there's two or three Facebook accounts. They're all full. I, <laughs> I'm so bad at it. I get, you know, somebody else is using the Facebook thing. Because I fall into the Facebook hole. If I check my Facebook messages, I like, whoa, here we go. Bye, day. Goodbye, evening. See ya. Yeah, I'm yeah. all, like, completely, like, oh, we'll come here. I, get, I become so ADD on Facebook that I have to get somebody else to do most of the Facebook. But um, I, I'm a big Instagram, Twitter person. So, I just want to say. I know Discord and I'm going to do like, you know, uh, TikTok. And I'm also going to do a Twitch thing. So I'm trying to figure out person. how to do like access, easy one-on-one -on -one access, you know, question and answer on Twitch and then do the clinics on Zoom and, you know. I'm just figuring out a way to make it easier to get access to good information. I love Beautiful. It. So just want to say, we spoke to uh, Lena Scissorhands from In Infected Rain on this show. Oh, I love Lena. And she brought you to our attention, and I'm so glad she did because you've been an absolute wonderful guest. Thank you oh. so much for joining us today. It means the world. You've been amazing. Oh, you're fun. You're fun. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to a podcast before I said yes. I was like, yeah, definitely. I love these. Oh, shows. amazing. Really? I love it. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> we endeavor. You know, we, we try. Yeah, but, very yeah. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on. It, it means thank so much you. to us and we really appreciate it. It really does. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been Stay an absolute well. blast. As always. <laughs> Never change. Oh. You are fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah, you so thank much. You so much. Bye. Have bye. a wonderful evening. Take care. Bye. Be safe. Be safe, please. Be safe. Yeah, you too. You too, you, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Bye. bye. Take care. Hey there. I'm Frank Guglielmelli, and I'm the narrator for the audio drama feed, featuring such audio dramas as Bounty Hunters, Marty and Mars, Val Toby, and so much more. You can find all of these wonderful programs on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can go to our website at www.audiodramafeed.com. We are thrilled to be affiliated with the Chronicles of Podcast with Tom and Jamie.